Before we get to today's show, let me tell you about HubSpot. Finding a service solution that helps you keep your customers happy can feel impossible. Like try to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at the networking event. HubSpot's all new service hub can help. It brings together service and success together on one platform. With AI-powered help desk and chatbots to handle your frontline support tickets. So you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Grain, your podcast for how you grow better today and tomorrow. As always, I'm your host, Kip Bodner. I am joined by my friend from across the pond, the lovely Irishman, the MMA-obsessed, the like sports that ends in ties. I don't even understand who you are. You dip your pizza in mashed potatoes. You're Kieran Flanagan. What's up, man? I'm good. We do have the lovely pleasure today of being joined by an extra special guest, Patrick Campbell, who was the founder and CEO of ProfitWell, recently sold the business to Paddle. He's here. He's going to talk to us all about selling a business, growing a business, marketing a business. What's up, Patrick? Happy to have you. What's going on, guys? I have not tried the mashed potatoes on pizza portion yet, but I will say when uh, Kieran tweeted about that, his responses were the most (laughs) Irish thing ever. Not only was it about potatoes, but he got pissed off that people just didn't get it. Which also feels very Irish. So that was that was probably the best part. Yeah, I, because all you Americans straight away think that I'm baking mashed potato into the pizza. Imagine going to a restaurant and you order a pizza and then you order mashed potatoes on the side like a bowl and you scoop the mashed potato onto the pizza and then eat both of them in your mouth. You know what? I think we all got it and still are like <laughs> reacting the way we're saying. Uh, okay. And you're just like, no, this is the best way. I will try it though. Okay. You know what's funny? I have thought about it. I was like, I told Jenny, my better half, I was like, this guy on Twitter is talking about this. It seems weird, but it seems like one of those yeah. things he thinks weird and then is actually good. So we'll, we'll try it out at some point here. I think that's what it's going to be like. There are a lot of people who are listening to this show that are marketers, they're founders, and you're somebody who failed at a business, bootstrapped, very minimal resources, and grew through content and media. You grew through storytelling. You grew through amazing content, through data. And I think one of the things we were hoping to do is do a deep dive with you on like, Looking back on it now, you know, it, it, everything in hindsight, what did you do that really worked exceptionally well that you were like, oh my gosh, I would do more of that in the future? And would you look back on and be like, actually, we wasted a bunch of time in our marketing efforts and we shouldn't have done those things? So I think, let me give a little bit of background and then I'll give you like maybe a top two, bottom two. Please, please. So a little bit of background for those who don't know, uh, founded a company called ProfitWell. We focus on the subscription market, meaning we sell to subscription companies. This is B2B SaaS consumer subscription products, subscription media. So we have everyone from Prezi. And it's funny when you're always trying to talk about customers, you're like, who can I say? And who do I remember? And I, you just remember the most esoteric names, <laughs> but um, everyone from like Atlassian and Autodesk all the way to like Whoop and Eight Sleep, you know, our customers, right? Like all over the map, we have subscription media companies, all kinds of stuff. We focus and we help them like run and grow their business automatically, which, you know, it's not really important to go deep on like what we do, but we help them with like retention and pricing and a couple of other things. And what was really kind of fascinating is our strategy, particularly around content, we were one of the first companies, if not one of the first uh, B2B companies to do like a media strategy. So about five years ago, I was just writing blog posts. Like 
we ended up getting actually a, a free HubSpot account because of, you know, it used to be when you got a job at HubSpot, you got a free HubSpot account. I don't know if they do that anymore. Still happens. But when we found it, we got to use their account. And basically I knew nothing about marketing at all. And I was like, well, what's the path of least resistance? Let's start like writing some blog <laughs> posts, right? Not a bad place to start. We had an ebook that Christopher O'Donnell mm-hmm. actually wrote most of. So former CPO at HubSpot. And so it was one of those things where we kind of started just the classic like inbound loop, right? The wheel is as some people call it. And then I was writing the blog post every week and it was like one of those things where it was like, oh, we would write about things that all of a sudden, you know, oh, we got traffic, you know, that's cool. You know, oh, SEO is starting to work, you know, that type of stuff. And when I was ready to hire like their first marketing hire, trying to find a marketing leader, but the things that drove going deeper into content were our total addressable market has 150,000 mm-hmm. logos. So there are only about 150,000 subscription companies. B2B SaaS is a much smaller portion of that, probably 20 to 25,000, which is kind of where our beachhead was. And then the other you know, 125 are you know, all the different types of subscription companies. And one of the things we got right, which we didn't do this linearly, this is all hindsight thinking, we realized that in that type of a market, you need brand. Like you need brand, like it's, it's absolutely crucial because your inside sales will help a ton, but on top of it, you're not going to use paid marketing. You're not going to use more tactical marketing to move forward. And so the question was, okay, we know we need brand, but we're a bootstrap company. Like what is brand, right? Well, we started doing a bunch of research and the the TLDR, and I can share some of the data if it's interesting, is we looked at media companies and we were like, these are the best people in the world at driving traffic, driving brand. They are the worst people in the world at monetizing that brand, right? But B2B SaaS, which we are, amazing at monetizing things. Yeah, exactly. So what do you do to combine it? And to give you some context, like the average B2B blog back then, basically you could expect a max average. So meaning like if everything worked perfectly, 1.6 touches from your opportunities, your main leads each week, right? In a media company, we looked at the Skim, Bloomberg, et cetera. Um, At the time, Skim was like huge. It was like 5.7 max touches per week, Mm. meaning people were opening, people were doing a bunch of stuff, right? So we were like, well, if we get B2B to 3.2, like, holy crap, we're buying yachts. It'll be awesome, right? You know, just because if we can get it to that point, right? Okay, so what does that mean? What does a media strategy mean? What's the difference between that and content marketing? Like, that was the big question. Yes. This is a core thing we want to cover. Yes, and so inbound marketing... I don't know if this is offensive to you know the, the the gods of inbound marketing, but inbound marketing as of today is SEO plus offers. That's really where it's at. That's where it's been trending. That's where it, like that's what it is. You need to have really good content to feed the SEO beast. You need to have really good offers and on-page optimization. And this is all my opinion, but I'm stating it like fact just to call that out. We can argue about the, your definition. It's a little restrictive, but it's it's not it's not completely baseless. So it's fine. That's fine, Kip. I don't have to sell inbound marketing software. That's that's totally fine, right? But what inbound media does, what the difference is, is instead of running this wheel, right? Instead of, and and I have this actual like slide deck that is, you know, really old looking now, but like instead of running this wheel, which is by nature hit driven. And what I mean by that is like, I launch a ebook or like an offer, let's say my leads does a spike and then it like trickles down and then I get, you know, leads every single day, you know, through SEO and people discovering it and maybe some workflows, right? I launch another ebook. Oh no, that one didn't do as well, right? And so all of a sudden my predictability of both my op creation and then ultimately my sales goes down and it's very dependent on like a volume play, but then that kind of gets annoying to customers and leads and all these other stuff, right? So it makes it really complicated. So inbound marketing traditionally is like the content wheel, right? Inbound media is audience driven. 
I am building audience. So instead of thinking, okay, I want them to look at the thing, then I want them to download this thing, then I'm gonna hit them up with a salesperson once they're qualified. What I'm saying is, I want Kieran and Kip to watch or consume or listen to this podcast every single week or mostly every week. Or I want them to binge 12 episodes in a row. Those are the two outcomes that I want because then it's like the way to kind of bridge these things from like old school inbound marketing and inbound media is imagine if you had a webinar where a thousand of your leads that were the best leads in the world were listening every single week and coming to the webinar every single week. You would do that all day, right? And so that's what you're trying to do is you're trying to build that thousand, five thousand, ten thousand. Sometimes there's hits yep. where there's hundred thousand people listening every single week, but that's the big difference. And then what we ended up doing was we started off with like one show. We call them shows, which was Pricing Page Teardown. It's a show where myself and one of my co-founders, we sit in front of a screen and we look at someone's pricing page. We collect a bunch of data and we just give positive and negatives about the pricing page with some summaries. There's some fun little banter and commentary. It has a written element as well as a, a video. And then now we have eight different shows and series before the sale, and we'll probably double down on those and do a bit more. And it built brand in such a way that we definitely look bigger than we are. And also it brought us our word of mouth traffic as well as our referral traffic just skyrocketed. And to get into some of the wins and, and, and not so wins here, one win was when you're creating content, everyone wants to think of Mr. Beast. Everyone wants to think of like this crazy traffic. What you should be focused on is either the persona you're trying to attract or the problem you're trying to solve. That was one thing that we got right. I don't think we did it intentionally, but pricing page teardown, you guys, unless you have a problem with pricing, you're kind of interested, you're not going to care about that show. That's totally fine. I don't want you to look. I'm, I'm having a webinar every week, right? And the other thing was, is like, I start with those shows. I think if I did it all over again, we'd start with those shows and then do like more of a top of the funnel show, which is like, let's go after marketers mm, right. or let's go after founders or whatever it is. One of the other really big wins is I had the advantage of being the CEO and founder and also running marketing. So I gave the marketing team obviously yes. a lot of cover. And I think that was a really big win is like set the parameters, set the goals. It's going to start small. It's going to look like crap in the beginning. It's product, right? It's going to be very similar to product and then let it build and iterate over time. So that was another big win. Some of the big losses, I would say, I think we fixated too much on view count in the beginning. We were so focused on view count that it was like, it drove us into places that didn't make sense. And then as soon as we separated out, okay, there's stuff that we do want for views. These are pure brand plays. One of the videos I did, it was a one-off. I said the word churn a hundred thousand times in a <laughs> row in one sitting. It took nine hours, right? But you guys all laughed, right? Yeah, That's exactly why we did it. It has an, enough of the WTF that it got us like 500,000 views, right. right? Total, right? So we separated out brand plays from, you know, basically middle of the funnel or bottom of the top of the funnel plays. And then one of the things that we got wrong as well is I don't think we moved quickly enough. We did everything in-house. That's how I would start instead of hiring a content writer, hire a video person, because video person can also do audio for a podcast. Some of them can do good storytelling, but I think we would have accelerated if we did try to get good at using like external agencies and contractors. Like we're just not good at using contractors at Profile in general, because it's a classic bootstrappers, you know, baloney like <laughs> mindset of like, oh, everything's got to be in-house. We got to build it right. It's a terrible way of thinking in general. And then one other win is we did a ton of outsourcing, though, of production. So a creative for a show, let's say, they're really happy to do the first episode because that's the pilot and then maybe iterate over a season. 
and then maybe maintain, they're not happy doing all of the work every episode. And so what we did is we focused on like when we're doing a new show or we're doing a new season of a show, they do the first episode, make sure it's clean. And then we have a bunch of contractors who basically will like copy and paste every other episode. They just kind of look at it, make sure, but they're not spending all of their time building out. That's a mistake we made in the beginning was like, oh, you're going to do everything. And then like you just burn out a creative because it's not creative anymore when they're doing like the same thing, 12, 13 different weeks in a row kind of a thing. But yeah, that's a little brain dump. Hopefully that was structured enough to be helpful to someone listening. It totally was. It was amazing. The one follow-up I would have, and then I'll let Kieran kind of take over is we get a lot of questions around teams and how much people and investment you need to do this work. Give people a little peek behind the curtain. You, you saying you, you had a few shows, you were spinning that up. Like what was, what did the internal resources versus the outsource like production stuff look like? So I think there's three types of people when you're doing this strategy. There is the producer or like the, the production person. This is like, you know, Darren on the calls, making sure the stuff gets filmed or recorded properly. He probably dumps footage. Like the person who kind of is like running the mechanics of it. There's the storyteller. I don't know who did the outline here, but like you guys are the storytellers, like you're structuring how we're going through this show. Even though it's free form, I almost guarantee you there's like a bit of an outline somewhere, right? Or something like this is where we're going to go, right? There is. And then this person also could be the writer too, if it was more of a scripted show. Cause that was another thing that we found out. Like not everyone's really that charismatic, <laughs> right? Like Kieran, you're carrying the show right now. He's so boisterous right now. He is charming everyone. <laughs> no, but that's the thing. But that's the funny thing, right? Like not everyone's that 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 boisterous or charismatic. So all of a sudden, scripting works really well because we ran into it. Like I'm in everything because I can like hold my own on camera or in front of a mic. But there's enough seeing Patrick. Like how do we get other people? Because you want the brand to be more than just one person, right? Very founder branded companies, like the multiples don't get as good. <laughs> you know, you want like a team. Anyways, so there's a storyteller, there's the producer, and then there is the like graphics producer, or like we call it the brand producer. And what they do is they do what's called the treatment, which is like, here's what the intro looks like. And here's what the, the music looks like for transitions and those types of things. And what we did is we basically hired someone who was kind of okay, if not average at all three of those things, except for the storytelling, which I took on driving the outline of the show, driving all those types of things. And then what we ended up doing is we started hiring people who are really good at those other two things. And then we hired a really good storyteller eventually. But I think to start, I think you have to think about internally, like, what are you good at, right? Like, I think the biggest gateway is instead of hiring that content writer, hire a video person next to them, like I said, and just start adding a video for each blog post. Like each blog post, just add a video at the top that just kind of like goes through it and maybe like has a little bit of a creative flair, like not actually reading it and then start with a show. And then basically like I would start with a podcast. People are uncomfortable being on camera. There's a lot of different production, like start with an audio only podcast and kind of go from there. But you have to see like who you are. And most of the time you're the storyteller internally. If you're the first marketing hire, you have that person there. And then you want like a more production orientated person who can handle like Riverside and all the other tools that we end up using. I love this discussion because one of the things you've done and you've helped our listeners to grasp, and actually maybe all of the people who listen to this will, will change the way they speak about these things is when people think about media and talk about media, they predominantly are still talking about content mm -hmm. marketing in the traditional sense. Whenever yeah. I talk to companies, they're like, yeah, we have a media strategy. We have a blog and we're trying to monetize that into leads. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the way I think about that is like inbound marketing is really the most impactful thing to drive content that has a direct link to revenue, right? You create content yeah. and it's directly tied to revenue. You can see people click on things, they go and do things and they become customers. What you actually are advocating for is inbound media has that direct monetization part, but it actually sways 
uh, influence and perception, which is the way Kip, Kip and I kind of think about it as well, which is, hey, there's been this kind of disruption of content. Content got decentralized. B2B brands use educational content to help grow their companies. Where we are today is there's a real opportunity to get into the perception and influence game. And perception and influence is different. It's like multiple touches of your content. It's keeping your audience connected to you at all times, but it's actually much harder to measure the impact of that. Like you're very good at that because you have a data company. But one of the curious things about your story is you invested in that early because you were the founder and you led marketing. Yeah. If we have people who are leading marketing that are not the founders and do not have founders yeah. who are like marketing first founders yep. and they want to do this, how do they sell that to their founders? You know, it's really funny. I tweeted a couple of weeks ago, like life's too short to work for a CEO that doesn't understand marketing <laughs> and which is a classic, classic like, troll. I didn't really, I don't think I came up with that. Like I think people see, <laughs> I, I believe yeah, it's true. Well, no, I think it's true. Like if we agree, which this is, uh, there's a consensus around Oh, the first 15 years of like SaaS and software was very like the hardest thing was to build the thing. Now we're in the second 15 years, which is like, no, no, no. Building has actually gotten easier. It's not easy, but it's easier. And now it's like so hard to distribute. Mm. I know it's a very privileged way of saying it, but like if your CEO, your leadership just doesn't understand marketing and you have to check, are you like, do they truly not understand? Or are you just not getting what you want, which are two different things? Like life's too short. Like it's too short. Like you should go find somewhere else because there's such a need for distribution, right? But What's funny is the biggest response I got to that, and honestly, like one of the number one questions I get from a lot of like senior marketers, and, and it's only in the DMs, is like, mm -hmm. how do I sell this? Right. Like, I can't, I can't even get them to like give me resources to write stuff. Yeah, to do blogs. How do I sell them like something? <laughs> yeah, which crazy. is insane. Like that's insane. Literally crazy. If you're listening to this and that's what you believe, like reevaluate <laughs> your perspective. <laughs> Stop listening. No, we don't want your opinion. But no, it's funny because it's like, I'll answer your question in a second, but I want to go back to something you said because one of the biggest unlocks, yes, we had a free HubSpot account and blah, 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 blah. But one of the biggest unlocks was I, I actually, this is when Halligan was very accessible because Boston tech community, all these other things, things. I'm not saying he's not accessible now. It was just a little dig. But like one of the things he went and spoke to this group that I went to this, this meeting and he kind of described like the theory of an inbound. Right. And I, I don't know if he actually came up with this, but it's a story he's told it inbound a bunch of times, which is like mm -hmm. traditional sales, you know, Hey, come up to the person on the street, ah, oh, sell, 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 sell. Right. Inbound is like, you come up to the person on the street and you're like, Oh, Hey, how you doing? Um, I didn't know if you need this. It looks like you needed this, like, you know, this piece of information, an ebook or whatever it is, you know, wouldn't come up to someone yeah. on the street, but you kind of hopefully get that idea. And all of a sudden, like, here you go. And let me know if I can help you down the line. Right. And then through lead scoring and stuff like that, you determine when to contact them and that kind of thing. Right. It's like, a, it's, it's more passive, but like inbound, mm. right. It's inbound. Like I want that person to raise their hand. Right. The th thing you said here in about this influence and stuff like that, 100% right. But the reorientation that I think CEOs, CROs, and CMOs, or you know the VP equivalents as well, I think need to change is inbound media, what it's doing is it's changing the relationship. Mm. That customer is not opting in to get an ebook and rolling their eyes when they're going to get a sales email because they know even if they want it, they're going to get it, right? What they're doing is they're saying, oh, this series is interesting. This marketing against the grain is interesting. I am signing up as a member of this audience to partake in continual information coming at me, right? And it's a really important distinction because it changes the relationship that you have with the customer, right? And now when I hit you up 
even if it's a sales email, you're like, oh man, yeah, I remember on episode two, like that thing happened. That was really, really cool. That's awesome. That's actually what we are looking for. Thanks for reaching out because we were just thinking about this, right? To answer your question, I think it's one, making sure you're part, and, and I think a lot of marketers and, you know, we've been in a good job market and hopefully it stays good, but, you know, we might head into a bad job market where you can't be as choosy. Just making sure that your leadership actually gets it. And then the thing that I always recommend is, is what I already explained, which is they understand webinars. They understand webinars lead to sales. Try to communicate to them that basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to have a webinar every week where more and more people come every week. Mm. So our last webinar, we had 50 people. We sold $10,000 worth of whatever out of it. Like imagine if we had 500 people listening every week, like they're not going to buy every single week and a lot of them will end up being customers, but it's going to be a low cost thing. And that was the other thing is I try to get them to look at the cost because people have this perception, well, if it's not millions of views, it's worthless and it's going to cost a lot of money. Right now, pricing page teardown on a per episode basis costs $250 on a per episode basis. And what we looked at in this research, when we first started making the jump was we looked at a really good ebook, not just like I took a blog post and made a PDF out of it, but a really proper ebook with like a nice cover and those types of things. Average price for us and others was around $10,000, right? We looked at a season of a show could actually probably cost less than $10,000, a season being 13 episodes. And some of our shows, like just that we record like this, just on Riverside, the cost per episode yeah. is just our time, right? Which we don't quantify because it's just part of the game. But like the cost might get down to like 25 bucks an episode because we take it, we rip it, all of the, f the further work has been done and it just copies and pastes it to a workflow. The workflow gets taken care of and we go from there, right? And so the cost actually is a lot cheaper than, than a lot of people think. And so like have that value game because I think a lot of CEOs just don't understand the expectations. They don't have to quantify it and your job as a marketer is to help them quantify it, at least in my opinion. Patrick, I think there's a couple things I want to follow up on. I think if you're a marketer working for a CEO who doesn't get marketing, the most often misconception is something you just said is that CEO is very either very product driven or very sales driven and is focused on like those high intent, like high conversion tactics. Totally. Hire more BDRs. Yeah. Hire more yeah. BDMs. Yeah. Uh, give me more product marketing. Do all of those things, right? Like let's focus on this feature a little bit more. And that's not what the value prop is going forward in the future, right? Like I think Patrick outlined really well that distribution is the scarce resource. And I want to yeah. give Kieran a shout out. When we were about to buy the Hustle a few years ago, we had a slide deck and I thought the most brilliant slide in that deck now in like retrospect, like going back to it, he, Kieran, you'd made a slide that was a slide that represented our target buyer's week. And it was mm. the formats of content they created and like the days of the week. And we were mapping to like, how do we engage with that person differently every day? And, oh, we want them to get this email newsletter every morning. Oh, we want them to listen to this show on our podcast network every Wednesday. Yeah. And, like, once you simplify it into that, like, one-week view of your buyer's experience, yep. it, like, just clicks instantly for people who see that. And, like, that's one of the things I'd recommend to anybody. It's, like, just frame it that way. Here are the channels. Here's the stories we're telling yeah. them. And, like, here's kind of how they're experiencing it over their week. And it's a game changer in doing that. We have the exact same slide like the exact same one. It's literally like if we have, and this is why you guys have a network. Hey, we have different personas. They're going to attract different shows. Oh, we have 12 different shows. All of a sudden, what is the average number of shows someone's watching? Right. And then you're literally between their ears. Cause I think most of your stuff is podcast still. And all of a sudden what's happening is like one person watches only one thing a week. Great. You got the hardcore user who watches like 12 things a week. Right. 
all of a sudden you're like, you're increasing that average and you're increasing that brand touch and you're increasing those chances for them to hear an ad for them to be like, Oh, they mentioned that thing. I should take a look at that. Oh, where they're having an event. I want to go to the event. It's just one of those things where the wheel just turns so much better. Like Kieran unlocked so many things for our growth team. Like just by having like two conversations with him, we ran a free model as well, but, but long story short, like it makes me happy that like we were thinking we were, we were discovering calculus at the same time. It makes me yeah, happy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, look, I think you guys were the, uh, the, the brand that really kind of trailblazed a lot of the inbound media discussions. We used that in the deck for the board. The change we described in inbound marketing to inbound media, which that slide was part of, was inbound marketing was help brands become trusted source of information when people were searching for things. Yeah. That's the way we described inbound marketing. And inbound media helped you become a trusted source of education and inspiration all the time. And what we showed within that slide is like, there's just multiple channels and you're continually engaged with them. I still think there's something maybe we can jump back to the marketer in that ebook example can build a pretty clear LTV to CAC model on the ebook, but it's really hard to build an LTV to CAC model on a podcast. That's where people get tripped up. One of the things I just want to caveat, I would love to get both of your takes on this. Kip and I had this episode recently where we kind of did this hot take. It's a battle. You call it a hot take battle. A hot take battle. And one of the takes we had, Patrick, is the most underrated skill in B2B tech in the future is editorial taste, right? Because in a world of inbound marketing, you can use science to figure out the editorial calendar. In a world of inbound media, you need editorial taste. And editorial taste, when we bought The Hustle, one of the things Kip and I were talking about is, wow, it really opened my eyes to like the skill, mm -hmm. just the skill of yeah. really figuring out editorial taste. Like we had Trung, I'm sure you know on Twitter, was part of that writing team. Sean, Fantastic who's part of, Sean, Sean Assam, is part of the Made My First Million podcast. But when you actually like, spend some time with them or any amount of time with them. It's like, boy, they really are able to like have real editorial taste and things that matter to the audience. And that is not a talent that exists in most tech companies. No. How did you try to figure that out? Or did you think about that for your team? So we did, but it's not evenly distributed, right? And so we figured out workflow, like how to run the team, right? Because you're, you're essentially creating a little like creative studio inside the company, right? And a studio model, there's a lot more collaboration and there's a lot more like little arguing. Like it's almost run like an art school, you know, kind of seminar rather than like a, a, a marketing, you know, sprint, right? And so that was a big thing. And, and to be more specific about that, you have to have someone who has the taste, right? Like normally it's a creative. Like I don't normally see someone run like a team like this who's not creative. Now they're not running like distribution and growth and all that kind of stuff with the, the media, but they're running like the actual media. And then they have like a couple of partners. One's a little more business growth focused and one is a little bit more like graphic-y or, or high creative focus. And this, this guy's named Dan at, at our company. And basically like he came in and we were like, you know, do you want to run our event? And he's like, yeah. I was like, oh, and he does all this media stuff. Like let's, let, that was the guy we found. And what he does is he basically will like structure how they do content, like across a timeline. But what you do in that timeline has to be very deliberate. Because ultimately, like you have the ideation phase, then you have some execution, mm. then you have edit, 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 right? And I became over time like the North Star was like Patrick needs to be the executive producer rather than like the producer, basically. And so over time, that structure really helped. Second thing, verbal brand guide that was huge. And the verbal brand guide, the biggest mistake people make is it's twenty slides long, it's five pages long, one page, one page verbal brand. That was a really important thing because it forced us to have a bunch of conversations and then forced us to try and figure out like how to best help people understand rather than just adding more layers to it. 
and that has a lot of metaphors in it, right? Like one of our things was like, we want to be a mix of Mark Benioff and Neil deGrasse Tyson, right? Like when people think of the brand, that's what it should look like, right? Um, and that's like all of the content. And then it has like some more specifics around everything should be helpful. Everything should have like a field guide summary, some sort of summary, what they can take away, those types of things. And then frankly, like the third thing was coming up with a loose framework of like the types of content we had, right? Like, so the thing I described about the churn 100,000 video, that's like give creatives a world where they can like take huge risks because that was a risk, right? Like it has an element of WTF, which all of these things need to have, but like it could have been like, this is embarrassing, <laughs> right? Like this is embarrassing for the brand. Like let them have like 10, 20% of the stuff they're doing to just be out there and then take away all of that mechanical work. And then finally, like, have an opinion. Yes. Like, preach. taste. Like, yes, it's a business. Like, you got to make money and you got to have a lot of opinion. But if there's no opinion, there's no taste, right? It's like design. Like, I, it yeah. took me a while to understand this when I started working with designers. It's like someone who doesn't understand design, and I would argue someone who doesn't understand content, goes, well, it's subjective. <laughs> no. Like, people like it or they don't. But, like, good design is subjective. And then someone who went to art school or, or like, got a design degree or a design program goes, no, mother like there's all these things, right? Like there's form, there's hierarchy, there's this, there's that. Like there is good and there is bad. Yes, then there is some preference. Right. Preference isn't shared, but taste is not necessarily subjective. And I think there's a world where there, there are a group of people who think taste is subjective and they don't think about it as preference. And so those things I just described and having a little bit of a framework, because we would have creatives that we would hire who their preference was just over here and they didn't like doing like our version of taste. And we were like, that's fine. Let's find you another gig somewhere. Like, you know, you did good work, but we don't want you to be burnt out because you don't like what you're doing. Let's, let's go somewhere else. So those are the three big things that we did. Patrick, I think you said something in there that I would just want to focus and double down on for people. When you talked about Dan, you talked about his art background. He was going to come in and do this events, produce media and everything. What you didn't say is he was from some other company in your same industry, right? And so many yeah. of the people listening... That was more because we couldn't afford yeah, someone. Some, but so yeah. many people listening to the show <laughs> are just circulating through people who are like point one standard deviations away from their business in terms of they're just trading people within their market, within their industry. If you're talking about making taste, you have to have somebody who's far enough away that they can have a different perspective on the problem, the audience, and a different set of skills that they can bring to to really complement yeah. the current set. If, if you just keep bringing people in from your healthcare market or your insurance market or whatever that is, you're never going to get there. You know, I think one of the things that helped us be successful is that we hired a ton of people from consumer. We hired a ton of people from e-com. Like we hired from all over the world in terms yeah. of industries instead of just focusing. Like you could have just hired from B2B SaaS and you would have been way less successful if that's what you had done. And what was great was the first hire who's still with us, a guy named Ben. Um, he's, he's one of our video producers. Ben and Dan were both like two peas in a pod, like debating all this stuff. And they think really similarly on mostly like like 55% of things and then very differently on the other 45%, right? And that helped. And that that's what developed the studio model because you bring in people who've worked in studios or, or whatever. And I think one of the best places to look for content creators is e-commerce. I agree. I think e-commerce by design, they have to be fantastic at top of the funnel. They are terrible at everything else. They are fantastic <laughs> at top of the funnel. And then I would say B2B SaaS is fantastic at everything else and not that great from, from an object. I mean, they're good enough, right? But another thing that you brought up, and this is a good hack for, for people in these roles, because Ben and Dan, they don't understand SaaS. They don't understand, and I like live SaaS, right? And so it was one of those things, what I told them is, 
Yeah, but you consume a lot of content. Like they're they're on the younger side, but even you know even like the rest of our team who is in all like you know in their twenties, they 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 also you know watch a lot of content on YouTube, sports, whatever it is. What I told them is your job is every week find a format. Mm -hmm. I love this, and a format is like. All right, I have talk soup format. A guy in front of a screen just giving commentary. Now, we're not going to create a joke mm -hmm. show, you know, for SaaS, right? But all of a sudden it's like, oh great, that's a format. And that really, really unlocks stuff for hiring someone outside of the industry to to kind of bring stuff in. But it all has to be under the umbrella of leadership that like at least appreciates it or is going to give some room for them to experiment. Not without goals, like there's still goals. And the goals are normally around time, which is famous <laughs> last words, right? You're building product. That's really what's going on here. So there's a lot of lessons you can take. It's like you have to like give them timelines. And so Dan, Ben and I and Danette and a bunch of other folks on the team, we have a lot of like, all right, we could do this really dope idea but it's an eight week thing. And we kind of already agreed that this product announcement is a one week like sprint. Let's put that dope idea in the background because we could probably do it for something else. And we'll just get this one week sprint to get this product announcement video or something like that done. One of the other things that I think tech companies struggle with that you didn't, like you guys had a sense of humor as well, but you hear like a tech company happened to me recently. We're like, oh, like you should check out our media strategy. And it's like their media strategy is, hey, we've got a new feature launching. <laughs> we've got this product coming out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or it's Radio Shack right now. I don't know yes, if you guys have seen that yes. craziness. Yeah, Radio yeah. Shack, yeah, can't make money in crypto, just post on Twitter and try to monetize those ads, yeah, yeah, which is yeah. really, it's product marketing, right? It's just like an extension of product marketing. Yeah. Why is that happening? It's because the founder cannot wrap their heads around that no one finds this interesting. Literally, no one finds this interesting. Maybe the one person like somewhere in the yeah. world finds this interesting. And you have to create interest before you've earned the right to try to sell your product to someone. Preach. Create value and then earn that interest. And then you have the right to actually promote something. And I just don't know if many tech companies will ever figure that out. There's two things, and Kip preaches this a lot. You have to have a strong point of view because you're competing in the internet. You have to have a strong point of view. Yeah. You're competing with all of the other people on the internet who are vying for that attention, who do have those things. I think you have to have a sense of humor and you have to be able to write for like the internet today. And I actually think that that internet culture is going to become more prevalent in all content. Yeah, but keep in mind, it's the internet of today for the audience you're going after. And the reason I point that out is because we, customer development, right? Like, who is your customer, right? Our customer is a director, VP, or above, depending on the size of the company. They are typically in their late 30s or in their 40s. They have a couple of kids, typically. Like, it's, it's that kind of structure, right? And what was really fascinating is we we put a stamp in the ground that like we were not advertising towards startups. Like that wasn't what we were going after because that wasn't our market at the time. Now our market's like much wider with the, the, the combined company. But what that allowed us to do is look at, well, what is that VP of marketing at a, a software company in Cleveland? Like what does she do? Like what is she doing every single day, right? Well, what are the shows she's watching, right? And all of a sudden that kind of like synthesizes, right? Like we did these playing cards where we put Kieran, I think you're on one, Kip. Sorry. I won't take offense. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyways, but we created these playing cards and it was like, it's a novel idea. It taps into like a lot of our audience. And this was before the NFT craze, but it was like, you know, they remember Pokemon or Magic the Gathering or even just baseball cards as a kid, which aren't really as much of a thing right now, except for like collectors, right? And so it was like one of those things where like that tapped into something. They've heard of Mr. Beast and the Ridiculous, mm -hmm. right? And so then you can kind of copy things, right? And I don't know, like your tone can go really poorly. Like I think having a point of view is really, really important, but the internet of today is, is unfortunately really subjective. Now, 
the three of us, we enjoy how, you know, Sean's new Milk Road is written because it's got like that vibe, like Trung. We enjoy that. We enjoy the hustle, like how it is. Totally. But like, I don't know, does the 55 year old person who really cares about trust really enjoy it? Probably not. But I kind of know what they're going to enjoy because we're seeing these cycles of content over the years. Like they probably enjoy the beams that have like the words over the top and the bottom because they're just getting on that like wavelength, right. whereas their kids are on, you know, what we're basically seeing. So it goes back to taste, which is so hard. And I think that a lot of people are scared to take a risk. Yes. And then they think, oh, I have to over-index on being Radio Shack, which is, you know, <laughs> for those who don't know, like tweeting ridiculous <laughs> yeah, things just to get attention, totally right? Wild. I think it's just not be boring. The point you're making kind of here is taste isn't about stunts and it is about attention. It is about understanding the audience that you are trying to reach and unique and different ways to reach them that are going to capture their attention. And maybe that's format. Maybe that's channels. I think it is about stunts, though, but it's like with taste, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, I would say the Radio Shack thing is just all stunt, 100% stunt. And you're advocating yeah. like, oh yeah, you're going to do some stunts, but that's not going to be the 100% of your mix and your storytelling. Yeah. There's Ty Lopez. Like it pretty much fits with his brand to be fair. <laughs> like, and you know what's funny? Totally and right. then he gets a lot of hate and then he uses that hate for more content, right? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's just like one of those things where like that that just feeds the beast because they get so much traffic right. and then a certain percentage of that traffic goes, well, I think everyone disagrees with it, but like I kind of agree <laughs> yeah. with right? And that's the person who like goes on by. Like he just, he just needs 10%, not even yeah, to convert, right? And so you guys, I think you guys know Dave Gerhardt. I think he did some really interesting things, not only uh, post-Drift, but at Drift and at Privy. I think that like some other brands, like again, looking at e-commerce, I think like Glossier has done some really mm. good stuff that was a little more community based as well. And I don't know if you guys have talked about swipe files. I haven't listened to every episode, but like having swipe files for content, I think is also really valuable because a lot of our ideas, they're just from different industries right. that we like yes. evolved for us. And like some creatives are like, oh, you're stealing. It's like, we're not stealing. They didn't come up with this. Someone else came up with it. Like, you know, that type of thing. We're and just reinventing it. Yeah, all. yeah. And we're also not going to like copy and paste it. We're going to, we're going to, you know, make it, make it our own. But yeah, it's interesting. I totally agree. Okay. So Patrick, this was an amazing discussion. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to ask you to close us out with one quick hit. If, if you are a founder, you're a marketer, you're listening to you right now, what's the one piece of advice to get going down the media train? I mean, start, <laughs> I would start with just like an audio podcast, honestly, or if you're uncomfortable, even with that, start a written series, yeah, like totally. it still works. Right. And you know, that was happening before the media age, but I think just start. And if you want to go a little more aggressive, like you're like, yes, I buy into the strategy. Like, let's go. It's going to take a while, but let's go that next content hire. Like just make them a video producer. They do not cost more. Like, yes, the, some of them cost more, but they will cost <laughs> roughly the same as like that next writer that you want to hire. And if you're hesitant, but you do want to jump in, there are so many podcasting yes. agencies now. There are so many like video agencies, like there's tons of them that you can hire that will do the treatment we talked about. They'll help you develop the outline and then they'll do all the post-production as well and just create a great show. So and all you have to do is just do the actual interview and they'll go from there. So yeah, I just start like what I like to say is this comes up when people ask me about pricing as well is like, just put a calendar invite that renews every, let's say, six weeks right now for this type of a thing. 
and just like, hey, by this time, we're going to make a decision on moving forward. You're going to snooze it a couple of times, but then it's going to keep coming up and then all of a sudden you'll get moving. So that's the biggest piece of advice. And then know that if you got to get cover, make sure you're housing it in a cost to benefit ratio, even if you can't perfectly measure it and make sure that the person who you need permission from, if you do, knows it's not going to be like a hit out of the blue. But context and expectations are huge there. I cannot think of a better way to wrap up the show. Amazing advice on all things media, growing your business. Congrats on the next stage of ProfitWell, Patrick. Thank you for joining us. Everybody who's listening, we'll see you next week on Marketing Against the Grain. 